growth is organic and even keel and slow. So you have to have patience and you have to have confidence in yourself. Don't go into it with shaky knees. Go to it going, I can do this. And if I don't do it, it's going to be okay. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Today on the podcast with Get Clear with Crystal Ware, we have an amazing, innovative entrepreneur with us. And you are going to be so excited to hear what Meredith Jerica has to share with us today. Meredith is a brilliant creator and innovative thinker, the brains behind wonderful product called Makeup Junkie Bags. She was featured on season 10, episode 11 of Shark Tank. She ended up with two awesome Shark Tank offers, which she ultimately decided not to move forward with and build up her brand and her business on her own. She is the quintessential entrepreneur, mompreneur, and everything in between. So welcome to the show, Meredith. We are so excited to have you today. Thank you, Crystal. I appreciate you having me on here to tell a little bit about my business and my story. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, we can't wait. So let's dive right in. I know people want to know, you know, we can scour the internets, which is what I did to prepare for this. But what is the truth? Like when you went into Shark Tank and you had an idea, where were you in your business and how had you gotten up to your, you know, to that point in your business? So um, the Shark Tank, um, I had applied for the show my first year in business. I was transitioning from working out of my home because I started a business out of my kitchen and I turned my formal dining into my sewing stage, you know, and like my China hutch was full of bags and material instead of dishes. <laughs> so that first year, I everyone had said, I've never seen a lay flat toiletry bag like that. And I had filed for to try to get a patent pending which I was issued the patent, which was great. Um, That's a long process. So that was a success for us. But I had applied for the show and I just filled out an online application. um, And I forgot I applied kind of, you know, like that's ever going to happen. And four months later, they called me and they were like, is this the girl with the flat? travel makeup bags. This is Shark Tank. And I was like, what? So it was very exciting. And I went through all the rounds of cuts to, I think there were 40,000 applicants, you know, and only, um, only less than a hundred of us make it onto the each season. And so I think that was kind of cool. Um, by the time that we filmed, I had already sold over a million dollars in makeup bags. Um, I have other products now, but at the time it was just the travel makeup bags, but I'd already done that on my own. And so I thought, man, if I can do that out of my kitchen pretty much what can I do if I you know get some exposure but I didn't have the budget for a Super Bowl commercial or marketing (laughs) so the show was kind of a really great way to get my name and my product out there and um, as you stated I I did get some offers which was very flattering because I was like oh yay they actually thought I made something worth worth a darn you know and uh, I, I did not 
to uh, sign the contract after the show just because I had, by the time the show aired, it was months after I filmed it and I had already hired more staff and we had a lovely operation here. And a lot of the sharks like to manufacture overseas. Um, that's just what they're used to. And they have great relationships with factories, but I had my sweet little factory here that I had built and I just didn't want to give up the made in America, you know, label behind my name. And so, um, they were great to work with. Um, Lori, the person that I partnered with on the show and then didn't sign the contract with, she's sweet as a peach and a good mentor and very helpful and just wonderful. So, wow. So, and, and let me, you know, rewind just a little bit and say, before this, you were a speech pathologist and you had quit your job. Now, did you quit your job to stay at home? And then you created uh, the makeup junkie bag, the lay flat innovative bag, or did you um, quit your job to move forward with makeup junkie? Was it to stay home or was it to really um, follow this entrepreneurial dream that you had? Well, I had initially quit to take time because I had a baby and a three-year-old at the time. And so working as a speech pathologist, you know, we were at a place where I I could take a little bit of time off. So I thought I'm, I might take a year off and just be with the baby. And my friends always joke, they're like, you cannot sit still for two seconds, can you? So after working, you know, full time and then staying home for not even, you know, a couple months, <laughs> I started just making the bags just for myself. I was just kind of bored and, you know, I was going on a trip and I wanted travel bags. So I initially quit to take time off with my baby and had planned to return. So of speech therapy, you can work in hospitals, schools, and I was employed by the school district. So I thought, okay, that's easy to take a little time off and then just pick back up, you know, whenever I my little one was a little bit older and then the makeup junkie bag happened shortly thereafter. So that income from the makeup bag surpassed my speech therapy income. And then I was like, maybe I won't go back. <laughs> so that's it. To answer your question, both. <laughs> I initially had quit to take time off to be with my baby and my three-year-old. And then I did not return as I had planned because the business did take off. Wow. So when we're looking at the timeline, how long, what was the path to profitability for Makeup Jumpy originally? I mean, if you were doing this kind of in your extended maternity leave, you came up with this idea, you executed on this idea. How long was it before you were seeing real income from that? Well, at first, you know, as a, somebody with no business background, you know, I'm quick to learn, but I did not know a lot about the business industry, retail, wholesale, um, all of that. I didn't even know what the word wholesale meant. <laughs> Honestly, I was purchasing fabric full retail price from craft stores. And now I know, wait a minute, I'd have to buy bulk and get my price down on that so I can actually turn a profit. And I was just charging like hardly anything for my bags because it was mostly my friends and family at first that liked them and were buying them. And then I started getting all these orders from people I didn't know. Um, I made like a Gmail makeup junkie at gmail.com. And I started getting orders via that. And then I eventually built a website. And I think I changed my pricing structure three different times <laughs> because at first it was because I was making the bags and then I wasn't making much money because I priced them way too low. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to change my prices so I can actually make money. And then whenever I had the first boutique, we're in a lot of boutiques and gift shops. Um, not, we're not a lot of big box stores. We're in like thousands of little tiny 
privately owned shops. And so I started to collect some of those. And then I was like, well, darn, if I'm going to wholesale these, I have to change my pricing again. So I had to educate myself. And once I did that third price change and I got to where I could sell direct to consumer retail, and then I could afford to wholesale and still turn somewhat of a profit. That's when I really started to see, um, the profitability. Um, I've always been cash-based, no investors, um, no loans, things like that. And so to see that little nest egg I started with start to build like a snowball, I was like, huh, I finally, finally hit it right, you know, that we're making money now. <laughs> That's incredible. And so was it essentially within like six to 12 months? So in that period when you created the product, then you started kind of playing with the pricing you know, thinking about marketing and where you're going to go for that, you apply for Shark Tank. So between that interim, you had become profitable and then you were already kind of on your way to scaling between recording the show and the show airing. Is that correct? Yes, the show didn't. I recorded the show in June and it aired in January of the next year. So, and then... um. They say that even if you record the show, there's no guarantee they're going to air you. And they don't tell you they're going to air you until like two weeks before. So pretty much the whole latter part of the year after I recorded that June, I convinced myself, oh man, they didn't pick me. I'm not going to, because they hadn't, they said, don't badger us. Don't ask when your air date is. You may not get aired, you know? And so I had kind of thought, told my staff, well, guys, we tried, you know, but, and then all of a sudden they were like, Hey, we're going to throw you on. And I was like, yay. But, um, I had built quite a, a bit of help by then sales team, shipping team, more sewers. Um, I had moved into a, a larger commercial space versus my kitchen. And then after I moved, moved out of my kitchen, I moved into a tiny office. I mean, we didn't even have chairs really. We just stood and you know, shipped the bags all day. And then, so by then I had moved into a very small warehouse area, which was, was lovely, you know, because we actually could move a little bit, but yeah. So between the filming and the actual airing, I had already grown, you know, like I said, surpassed a million dollars in sales on my own. And when the show aired, nothing prepared us. (laughs) It was magnificent. We sold in that that month or two after the show, we must have sold, I think, almost what we sold the year before, which was crazy. Wow. So just by virtue of being on the show, um, your brand recognition and your sales skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Yes, I went from... So at the time when I sold to the boutiques, every Friday I would put a new color. We called it the Friday bag drop. We're dropping a new color. And our sales every Friday before the show would average about... Um, you know, $5,000 every Friday. And we'd look forward to that little cash injection boost. And after the show, we were averaging $100,000 on Friday drops. And our retail site was on back order for over four months. I had to send at least a thousand apology emails personally to retail customers that ordered. And I was like, we are so backed up. I'm going to, I'll put, put a freebie in there. Thank you for your business and for watching the show. So we were on back order for months. That is such an incredible story though and so inspirational people. So tell us a little bit more about how you prepared after that and how you, you know, as a single, you know, leader of the company, as a mom, as a woman kind of learning a new business and everything as you go, um, you don't have investors, you don't have other people involved in the business with you. How did you manage 
to figure out how to scale that on your initial growth and then this huge boom that you got from Shark Tank? Well, it was definitely a Tetris puzzle I had to figure out because we needed more sewers. We needed, you know, we couldn't stay on back order for months or people would lose interest. So I hired more help as quickly as I could. Um, I have a great production manager named Lou, who he's my right hand. If anything happens to him, I swear I'll have a panic attack. (laughs) He's wonderful. He trained all the new sewers because even though I was a novice sewer, I could make a square bag. I'm not to the level of skill that, you know, my seamstress are there fantastic so i hired help i hired more shipping help i looked for a larger commercial space in the same business park we were in and kind of negotiated with my landlord like can i get out of my lease if i move to that big one over there (laughs) so i think we moved offices three times in a year and a half because of the growth and so um the scalability is something i like to talk about because scaling can be up or down and i think i have a very unique case because early on in my business um i had the phenomena of shark tank which sales skyrocketed. So I scaled up. And then immediately after that year, went straight down into COVID where everything plummeted and we were making no profit. All the stores that carried our products had to close their doors and, you know, per the government mandates. And so that's not a normal journey (laughs) for a business owner. So I scaled up, up, up and landed with 18,000 square foot of commercial space, tons of employees and all that. And then since COVID and the economy, I've had to scale that back down. Now we're in about six, it's like a Goldilocks syndrome. This one is just right. Uh, We're at about 6,000 square feet. I have about half the employees that I did right during Shark Tank year when we did all the hiring. And um, I basically just, I'm very quick to move when something needs to be done. So when I saw that we were on back order and people were getting frustrated, I hired more seamstresses. When I saw that our sales were dropping and that we had all this overhead, I reduced our office space and moved into this beautiful place we are now, you know, so I think scalability is the, I think it's important to pay very close attention to what's happening and move quickly if you need to go up or down. Like it's okay to change your status of your scale. You need have to, to keep your company healthy, whether it's up or down. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And do you think that kind of foresight and that call to action and your ability to really you know, move forward. Do you think that helped you in the in the outset when you had this idea? Because you know what I see is a lot of people that have great ideas or are passionate about something that they want to follow through, but they don't actually take the action. So what I'm hearing from you is a lot of action, not a lot of lip service. And do you think that really kind of worked in your favor in just starting the business and get moving into something you absolutely love and building this dream life. Yes. And, and I've had, um, I'm in entrepreneur groups or support groups for women owned businesses, stuff like that. And I get told that a lot, like, how did you do it? And and the simple answer is I just did it. Like if I want the garage cleaned, I'm not going to sit around and be like, Oh, I really need it. I really wish I could get that. I'm going to get out there in my tennis shoes and do it, (laughs) you know? So I think just one foot in front of the other, you know, make, the bag. And then I filed for the LLC and I filed for the patent and I sourced wholesale, um, wholesale material. I just kept taking action every day, every, I have a rule every day. Now it's like every week. Cause I'm tired but every day or every week. I try to teach myself something that I don't know about business, whether it be marketing strategies, 
sourcing materials. Um, I will literally as much free information as I can get. Um, advertising is very expensive, and I, as a cash-based business, I'm very careful with with that, those budgets. So I'll, you know, take an online class about how to reach the consumer. I learned that adding a personal touch to any social media marketing will tie them to you, and I saw that because if we just did a cold post like look at this blue bag, you know, it may get 50 likes on it. And, you know, then if I put, Hey, my name is Meredith, me and, you know, me and my daughters are up here. We're moving into our new warehouse. Look at all these cool colors, fabrics we got in. Then it, you know, so much interaction. So I, I learned about adding that personal touch to your business to feel connect, to make your customers feel connected to you. I guess it's just all of those things that um, were important to me. I was eager to grow and learn more because I had so much pride that people liked my product and I wanted to keep that ball rolling kind of, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's really just incredible um, what all you've been able to achieve in that time period. And so going back to what you mentioned about, um, not following through and not really feeling aligned with with the offer that was made because of the um, overseas component. Uh, why was that so important to you uh, in keeping the manufacturing here in Texas? And, and does that have to do more with your bigger vision for your business? Um, I think that I could feel the power in owning a manufacturing company um, because it wasn't just about makeup bags. We had started to make purses and things like that. And in my head, I saw, holy moly, like I can design my own bag and make it the next day. I don't have to wait for my sample to come from a factory because I have so many friends that, um, that manufacture their stuff overseas in the vendor world and it's all fantastic stuff. So I never, it's never, my choice to do this was never anything negative towards that. It was just the power of being able to walk into my office, design and produce a product by the end of the day was so cool. And to control my quantities, a lot of factories have minimum quantities you have to order and then you're stuck with, well, now I've got 300 red bags nobody wants. You know, I have the power to only make what is ordered. And so I'm not left with surplus inventory that I'm trying to get rid of. Also, um, just my following had been built on handmade in Texas and the story of that and American made our customer base was kind of that genre of people. And so and I even remember telling Lori, like, this is, I've built my name and my brand on made in Texas, made in America. And now I can't just like throw all that away because then they're going to go, what? I'm not buying from her anymore. She, you know, she's a sellout. You know, I was worried about all those kind of comments, but honestly, whenever COVID happened the year after Shark Tank and all of the overseas manufacturers had to shut down due to the illness, I was able to stay open. We didn't have to fire anybody. We didn't make much money, but we kept the lights on and we all had jobs. And I actually made hospital gowns for rural hospitals. Do you remember when the, um, the, uh, PPE equipment, there was a shortage. So somebody said, okay, this is crazy. Someone gave me your number that said that you have a manufacturing. Can you make hospital gowns? And I was like, I don't know, bring me one and I'll try. And so we found fluid repellent fabric that would repel anything that would penetrate a doctor or nurse. And we just started making them and my staff, <laughs> they can hear me right now. She's shaking her head. It was 
learning how to make and fold hundreds and hundreds of hospital gowns is funny because we're used to these little tiny bags, but it made us, um, it qualified us to be a needed business. So I didn't, you know how they said you had to shut your doors if you were not an essential worker. So it qualified us to be an essential worker. We were able to stay open and serve the boutique customers that were still still going, <laughs> maybe some of the online ones, and also, you know, to fill that need. So just after that happened, I, I knew I was never going to give it up. Like, make it right here, control of what we make, when we make it, and who we make it for. It's just a very powerful thing, you know? Wow. I was just, uh, I just started reading a book about the Tony Heshi, the uh, CEO of Zappos, um, who ran Zappos for, I don't know, something like 20 years. And he was talking about in there, uh, not outsourcing your core competencies. And that sounds like it, what it is for you. So innovation, experimentation, you know, working on creating something new and unique as a core competency and keeping control of that right there in-house um, has really served you well. And what else I hear is the art of the pivot and change management, which is so crucial in a new business and entrepreneurial endeavor. And how do you manage that? And then you got thrown in with COVID and the change management that you were able to affect there as well. So, I mean, really kudos to you, Meredith. I think at this point, you could create a course of change management and teach other entrepreneurs <laughs> how to be open-minded and how to take something, whatever is handed to you, a box of lemons, uh, you know, a box of tar, whatever it is, yeah. and make something work out of it. Because um, that's pretty, pretty incredible to scale up, to scale down, to level out, to shift gears to a new product. And uh, then, you know, your everybody in your office and your staff is uh, really tuned into um, unique ideas and you jumping in and saying, hey, let's try this today, which is really beneficial because you're just primed for any new ideas and any new um, products that, you know, come to your mind, which is amazing. So how, I know you mentioned you, 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 fueled everything with cash growth. Is is that correct? You didn't have any financing. Everything that you did was based on so you were you were in the black from day one, basically. Yes. So everything I started with a small nest egg. Uh, if you watch the episode, it was a couple thousand dollars and I was married at the time. Um, and so we just had the small amount that I started and I would, you know, buy a little batch of fabric and then make some bags and then sell them. And I remember, you know, the Tupperware parties that you do in your home. Mm -hmm. I remember I made like a hundred, 150 bags. And I was like, I'm going to make a a Facebook event just for local friends and family. And I ended up selling every, and it was people brought friends. And then all these people I didn't know were at my house and I sold every last bag. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. So then I used that money to go buy new fabrics and kind of just, it kept going. And, um, I have a friend named Shant. He lives in California in Los Angeles and he's a fabric, a bulk fabric distributor. And I had found him online or something. And I was like, Hey, can I get, you know, five yards of this black crocodile? And he's like, Oh, we only sell bulk. You have to buy like rolls and pallets to get fabric from us. And I was like, please, it's really pretty. And I can't find anything like that anywhere. And so he's like, I'm going to send it to you, but I'm going to upcharge you big time. And then like a couple months later, I was like, I need 50 yards of that same 
color. What else you got? And then within the year, I was having him ship pallets to my home. <laughs> he was like, do you have room for this in your driveway? Like, what are you doing? And then he called me. He's like, what are you doing down there in Texas? I was like, I'm making makeup bags and it's going really well. So he is still my friend to this day. I talk to him every week, pretty much on text, like what you got colors. And he's my biggest supplier actually of fabric. So I thought that was kind of a cool little side note story. I can't even believe it. So <laughs> you talked him into just sending you what you needed, basically. Yeah, yeah I uh, catch more flies with honey. And so I poured some sugar on it and I was like, please, please, please. So it's the power of staying hungry, friends. It, it really is. It's, I just cannot say that to people enough, whether it's in business, whether it's in your career, uh, whatever it may be. It's like, you've got to stay on it. If you want something, you have to make it happen. And not taking no for an answer is so important sometimes, especially when you're cobbling something together, piecemealing something together, and it's all new and it's a starting place. Like you just don't know what people are willing to do for you or help you unless you ask. And I find that some so many people are are afraid to ask because they, you know, you you have these these stories you tell yourself. You think somebody's going to say no. Well, guess what? I assume that people are going to say no all the time but like you Meredith I just go out and ask because what is the worst that, what what's the worst that can happen um you wear them down and they say yes and they send you you know 5 yards of black crocodile fabric and and you get rocking and rolling and sell that out and then you're buying pallets worth i mean it's it's beautiful I know we, uh, last time I was in Los Angeles, him and his wife took me to supper and I was just, you know, teasing kind of like, aren't you so glad you took a chance on the little girl from Texas making her stuff in her kitchen? (laughs) So we like to joke about it. They're a lovely family. Yeah. I know you mentioned in one article or interview that you, um, you, one of your inspirations was uh, Sarah Blakely. And, And honestly, the story resonates with that so much because that's exactly what Sarah did. She went to all those manufacturers who thought her idea was crazy and it was never going to work until she found somebody that said, you know, maybe I'll give this a chance. I'll do this part time. Um, and that is how Spanx was founded. And, and that's just, you know, what you have to do. If you really believe in something that you think your idea or your business or, you know, the book that you want to write is going to be fabulous and you you just got to keep going, keep working at it, keep asking because you will find people that align with with what you're targeting. Um, and for them, what a, you know, yeah, I'm sure he is very, very thankful that he moved forward with that um, and, and chose to go because now what a great client he has in you. So... How are you able with all of this going on and managing this change? How how are you able to manage your work-life dynamics? So that has been something that has improved, <laughs> cultivated, um, you know, especially when it was, I didn't have um, much office help and I was doing a lot of the shipping and customer service and everything on my own. It was a lot harder because it wasn't like, oh, I should clock out and get some rest. You know, it was there wasn't enough manpower and I had to do all of that. I had to, you know, had the kids up with me at the office, like, okay, just 10 more packages, you know, and stuff like that. And now the way it sits, I have the most amazing team. And so I'm able to go home and, you know, eat with my children, my children and go take them on vacations for summer and spring break. It's way better. I would say the last couple of years have improved a hundred percent in that area. I had a few gray years where I was like, Oh, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
So having a good team. When I hire people, I don't just look at their resume and say, look at this resume. This is fantastic. I look for the the feeling, the attitude. Are they going to fit the culture? We treat each other with the utmost respect and walk in with a smile on your face and enjoy your job or don't work here. It's kind of my hard line I draw. Like, and then um, I had a store owner recently, they fled the boutiques fly in because they can design their own custom bags and then we'll make them right there. And then they go live on Facebook and they're like, we have a one of a kind bag. And I had one of them say, you know, I visit a lot of vendors and your people are always so happy. And that was the biggest compliment. And so I think I have a better work home dynamic because I have such a great team. So I pour into them, they pour into the company. It all kind of, you know, is a beautiful recipe. But it definitely was not like that in the beginning. It was a hot mess in the beginning. <laughs> it's so it's just really so hard. And I I don't know if you still find this, but when you love what you do, I mean, that's honestly I struggle with this every day. When you love what you're doing, you're so interested in what you're doing it's really hard to draw those boundaries and say, like you said, that that I'm going to do 10 more bags today. I'm going to get 10 more orders out. I'm going to just, you know, create this one more thing or find this one more fabric. Um, it's just really hard when you love what you do to create those boundaries. Um, do you find that even though you have the ability to shape your day in your life and, you know, kind of find that balance, do you still find it's a little bit of a struggle? It's getting easier um, and I've, I've gotten very, very good at the multitask and kind of getting, you know, like when you and I were scheduling ours, I was like, okay, okay, this week, mm, this one, but like today, you know, I, I've shared with you that right after our podcast here that I have an hour long event that was offered to me, you know, with great exposure to stores. And so I was like, hmm, I'm going to have 10 minutes in between got it. You know, I've got this, uh, I've developed the ability to do a lot in a short amount of time. And that also helps me shape my days because on the work days, I'll try to heavy up during the meaty part of the day. And I mean, I pick my kids up from school. I'm car, car rider mom in the morning and in the afternoon, I don't have any help with that. I love that I can shape my day to do that. And so, um, yeah, I think the ability to do multitask and do a lot of things in a short amount of time and, I really, really enjoy that about my life, I guess, and my job. <laughs> yeah. I hope I yeah, answered so your question. You I kind of went off on a tangent there. <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, that's what people need to hear and see what it's like and what it feels like to be living in your own world that you created and the time frame is yours um, because that really helps people see what's possible. Uh, and for people that are early in the entrepreneurial um, game, it may be feeling overwhelming, uh, but to see that you can come out of it on the other side and that you really have some balance and some boundaries. Um, you know, it's kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel, right? When it's hard and it's difficult, um, it can be really hard to see that. But when you have examples of people who have been there and done that, that's that's what makes it clear for people. And that hope and that light at the end of the tunnel can keep you going mm -hmm. um, because it because it can be really hard. I mean, even when you're an experienced uh, business person, um, there's always going to be ups and downs that you, that you manage. Um, so do you have a really hard cutoff um, in the afternoons and you just say, this is my schedule unless something really crazy is going on, this is what I'm sticking to? Um, 
Um, it's 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 not hard. It's it's flexible. I think my staff knows. Okay, she normally leaves around this time to go pick her girls up. Um, the boutiques they like it whenever we do. It's called a Facebook takeover where they give us their login and I'll go live on there and be like, oh, look at all these pretty things we make for them. Um, you know, versus them flying out here to do it. So I'll tell the girls after school, mommy's let's go back to the office. Mommy's gonna do work for forty five more minutes, and I'll hop on and do that. They run around, they play. It's a makeup bag factory, so they <laughs> they have a good time here, but. Yeah, the ups and downs, like you said, when I first started in my business, if something, if somebody would say, a store would say, no, I'm not interested in the product, or if anything would not go my way, I'd kind of like take it to heart. And then I've learned over the last few years, the ebb and flow of owning a business, it's going to be the ups and the downs. So I expect them now and they don't disappoint me as much. And I always tell people, if you own a business, you got to keep your sunscreen and your umbrella because you're going to have days that are so good. You're basking in it and you got to lather up because that sun is just shining down on you. But you're going to have days that are a monsoon of a rainstorm. So have that umbrella handy. It will pass. It will always pass. So I think that's a good metaphor for preparing your mindset to own a business. So what do you think has surprised you the most about, um, business ownership? The nature of people. So I've learned a lot about people where in my previous job as a speech therapist, I served my clients and I was there to help them improve goals. And in the retail business, it's financially driven. So that's a different mindset of people versus like a medical goal that speech therapy was. So I've learned how people operate um, a lot about relationships that are customer relationships, because you can have people that you sell to or that you buy from. And, you know, you think my friend, my friend, friend. A lot of times it's just a business relationship and being able to establish that and serve them while being kind and friendly. Um, that's taught me a whole, a lot, I think just through experiences about, um, how people operate. I mean, we have thousands of boutiques that carry us and all the boutique owners are different. And so dealing with all of those personalities really has given me this huge, um, what's, I don't know, this huge lexicon of ways to work with different types of people. If it's a very, you know, um, introverted store owner, now I know how to talk to her and pull out, what do you need? What can I help you with? If it's very extroverted, I know that she wants to, you know, shoot the breeze for 30 minutes before she places an order. And I fig have figured out a lot about people. <laughs> if that's, I don't know if that's a weird answer, but. <laughs> no, it's so important, especially when you're interacting with uh, so many people in the kind of industry that you're in. I mean, it's really important. Communication can make or break a lot of what is done. And what I know about you and I see in you and what we can all hear right now is that you've built your personal reputation on being kind and gracious and having a nice attitude. And I think that alone can just go so, so far. And people really forget that that a little bit of kindness, yes, it is a business relationship. Yes, it is a transaction. Yes, we're here to make money. I mean, look, for the most part, unless you're helping an ailing family member or caring for somebody else in your family, what you're doing is to earn money and that's okay, right? You want to, you need to earn money. So uh, your vendors have to understand that because if you're not earning money, you're not going to continue doing business and buying from them. Um, the same thing for your customers, your in customers, they want you to make money because you stay in business, but you can do that all with kindness and grace. And it makes for a much more pleasant 
environment for everybody. And not only that, I believe that when you do uh, work in that way, you thrive more. And I think that you've probably experienced that as well. That's what I'm hearing in your story for sure. Yeah, it's just, you know, having good relationships with people is the foundation of, I would say, anything. Because, you know, if you just keep strict to no, this is how I am and this is how I'm going to be, you're going to repel certain types of personalities, you know, whenever just a small adaptation to how you interact with people based on who they are will fix that. And, and you know, another thing that, that just popped in my brain from what I've learned most about being a business owner is every job I've had prior, I've done my duties and I've reported to somebody. And at the end of the day, the whole pie was theirs to bake. I had my little slice of the pie or my little ingredient that I put in and the having to be the one to make sure the entire pie is made correctly and baked correctly. Like I'll have a sales rep call and say, I'm having an issue with this. I need you to help me. And then I'll have shipping say, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this? This fabric didn't come in. And then I'll have production say, our machine broke. We need to call this. Like they don't see that they asked me one question, but I'm actually getting 20 from different parts of the company at the same time. So I think being able to manage that and go to bed at night, making sure I checked all the big stuff off the list. That has been new for me because that's a very heavy weight sometimes, um, especially if, I mean, when things are smooth sailing, it's great. But whenever you have some hiccups here and there, that can be a lot to manage. So that was surprising to me about how much um, or organization in your brain it takes to manage all of that, I guess. My brain's organized, but my desk is not. <laughs> Which is okay, which is okay. I think that that is a great uh, reflection for people to take away if, if you're thinking about going into your own business or starting your own business or what it means. Um, because, you know, like most of us, we see the shiny picture, we see the social media posts, um, but it is a huge difference. And you just very eloquently stated that. It's a huge difference to make your piece of the pie and be an employee and have an employee mindset versus the owner and entrepreneur mindset. It's it's a huge shift. And you're right. The weight of that can be large, especially in your case where you have, you know, many employees that count on you um, and that count on the decisions and the strategies that you're making um, because the business and ultimately their jobs depend on that. So, before you just think entrepreneurship is this wonderful, great thing, and it is, there is so much wonderful things about it, positivity for your uh, life, for how you structure your time, for your freedom, that, um, you know, I would never want to discourage people from going that route. But you also have to think about what you as a person really want. Um, and if it's to clock in and clock out, that's not it. <laughs> Yeah. Meredith has a lot of other decisions to make and a lot of things to deal with besides um, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, so I think the way you balance that and explain that is really powerful for people to understand um, because really the whole pie and the recipe for the pie is yours. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So that's excellent. Um, so what is next for Meredith? and or for Makeup Junkie? Um, well, when I started Makeup Junkie, I thought it would be a hobby out of my kitchen. 
um, for makeup bags. And obviously we're now a full-blown accessories manufacturer. We have tote bags, duffel bags, sunglass cases, purses, crossbodies, game day line, uh, curling iron bags. I mean, you name it, we make it. And I have a ton of products coming. I even make lunch boxes. <laughs> I have a, I have a ton of products coming out this year. So I'm kind of focusing on more luxury handbags um, for the latter part of 2023. I'm going to have some new label and tag systems and some gold plates coming out so that we can take some of our handbags to a higher end level. And I'm going to do a slight rebrand from makeup junkie bags that will stay the makeup junkie bags. And then I'm going to have MJ bags, which is going to be kind of my more designer line. That way, when they see the word makeup, they don't think, oh, it's a purse that says makeup. <laughs> so um, I think I have a, I have two other companies that I own. I have a Modern Jester apparel because I do manufacture women's clothing. I did a big run of it the year before last. And then during COVID, we took a break, but I plan to nurture that more. And I also own Man Junk Lifestyle LLC. So we are about to launch our website for that. Um, I just launched men's underwear at Christmas that we make. And uh, it says Man Junk Underwear. Hey, hunk, we got your junk. And they sold out. So we're about to do another batch of those and get the Man Junk Lifestyle up and running probably, I think, in two more weeks until it's done. So I'm just going to keep staying here in my little nest and making things and putting them online and you know, hoping people continue to enjoy them. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. I love that. That's so clever and so funny. Um, <laughs> I just love that. I can totally see why that uh, <laughs> man junk would be selling out. Yeah. Um, so are we going to see you on QVC or anywhere else? Are there any other big things that you have like as a goal? Well, I actually just appeared on QVC um, right before wow. Christmas. And that was kind of scary because, you know, you make all of this product and they order thousands of bags. And then I was like, well, what happens if I go on the air and they don't sell? You know how they tell you only two left only I was like, what if they don't sell? They're like, oh, we just ship it back to you. And I'm like, but then I'm I'm stuck with all, you know what I mean? Like it was such a big risk, but luckily we sold almost every bag. So that was a cool experience. I got to go to their studio and it was beautiful. And, um, that was really, really great. So as far as, um, this year, I have a lot of speaking engagements. The crowds range from 20 people to there's one that has 350 people. So I do a lot of, uh, things like that, especially for business schools, colleges, um, motivational conferences. So I really enjoy that. And so I'm looking forward to those and I'll probably sneak a vacation in there somewhere. <laughs> That's about it. Well, that is excellent. I, I I think, you know, you, as I said, to begin with, you really are just the epitome of an entrepreneur, a lady that makes her mind up about what she wants to do and goes out there and does it. You see trends, you see gaps in the marketplace. And I, I just love that we have you right here in our backyard and that you're keeping manufacturing here and everything that you're doing is wonderful. Um, and I think that this is just going to give people a lot of ideas about what else you can do um, to kind of change up your career if that's what's on your heart and that's what you know your purpose is. Um, so if there's anything else you want to share before we sign out for, um, ladies that may be thinking about doing something different with their career or life, uh, you know, what do you tell the colleges and other women that you go speak with, you know, leave us with something great, Meredith. <laughs> well, I, I always say, what's the worst that can happen? Why not? You know, try everything once. I mean, I have products I make that flop completely and I'll be like, let's just pretend like we didn't make that, you know? <laughs> so it's just, um, 
what are you going to lose from from trying and from not trying? What have you got to lose? I say, don't be afraid, don't be intimidated. And remember, don't envision this huge company in your brain. Start small, plant the seed, water the seed, little sprout here, little sprout here. That growth is organic and even keel and slow. So you have to have patience and you have to have confidence in yourself. Don't go into it with shaky knees. Go to it going, I can do this. And if I don't do it, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> Yeah, because you can. I mean, truly, I do believe that 99% of the ideas that we have in our head are doable. They are achievable. You just have to have the confidence and the courage to go out there and do it. And you are the picture of it. And so thank thank you. you so much for being on today. It has been wonderful. I know you have so many things going on and to share your time with us is just um, incredible. So For everybody else, we'll have another solo episode on Thursday. And then next week, we'll be back with another guest and solo episode, rinse and repeat. Thank you for listening in. I hope you found the value. If you have any questions for us, send us a message. And don't forget you are made for more. So start living like it today. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.